The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Thank you for being here, Amy. Um, Amy is a wonderful friend, and we are um, just blessed to have her knowledge and her wisdom with us today. You know, as many times as I've spoken up here, they've never given me the real microphone before. So I feel, I think it's just because of you. I'm going to take it home. Amy has a bunch of kids too, and I think this will change the dynamic. Clean your room. We could just... Yeah, we're going to use these. Yeah, I think this will take us far. This is changing parenting all the way around for us. Um, if you missed class today, I would encourage you to go back and catch the live stream of it, um, if you can, because it was absolutely phenomenal. You did just Thank a you. terrific job. So um, Amy is really great about um, breaking down the science of the brain for us um, and, and all of the big parts of the brain. Um, and I think it's just really fascinating when we, um, when we take a minute especially in our, our period of go, and as we're thinking about going forward and the people that we're gonna encounter in our community, um, that we meet them where they are, um, not where we want them to be and not where we think they might be, but really where they are. And how do you figure that out, okay? Because it may not just, where they are may not be the apartment that they're in, right? It may not be the, coffee shop that you meet them in, but it's where, where are they? So a couple of highlights that I jotted down from your class today that really stuck with me was um, the importance of hope for Oklahomans. And you know, before I got involved in the human service world, I, I thought that I was um, socially educated. I mean, I watched Oprah. And um, I read the newspaper from time to time, right? Um, but I was insulated in my world. Um, and I thought, that, all, that doesn't really happen here, mm -hmm. you know? And you, you made a point of that in class today. Um, and it wasn't until I become, we became involved in um, foster care that I really began to see it. Um, it's, it's not just on Oprah. And it's not just, it's, it's next door. It's, it's the kids that are sitting next to your kids at school. Um, and you brought up some statistics I wanted to share um, from class. You know, one in three children in Oklahoma, and I'll, I'll just remind everybody that we're in Oklahoma County, which is the largest county in the state. So the majority of these numbers are coming from our own county. That one in three children will go to bed hungry tonight. Oklahoma children, one in three. Um, that's even um, greater since the pandemic. It used to be one in four, but in the last two years, it's increased to one in three. Um, Oklahoma ranks third in the U.S. for women that are killed by men. That's staggering. Third in the U.S. Death by a domestic, by a domestic violence partner is usually the, the cause of that. Um, 49% of women experience domestic violence in our state. 47% of, is it 47%? 40% of men. 40% of men experience domestic violence in our state. And these uh, are the parents of children. Yeah, and the children these are, are the watching this, right? And this is, and you know, Amy and I were talking about uh, Barbara and the um, sign language. Mm -hmm. You know, those kids are watching Barbara. Mm -hmm. She's bringing them up. 
you know, same thing. Those babies are watching those mamas and daddies. Um, 7,200 kids in DHS custody right now. The majority of those are for neglect. Um, it's difficult. Um, and of course, in my work, um, Northcare is a community mental health agency, and we do um, all indigent care. We, we serve homeless and all indigent and significantly and seriously mentally ill folks, as well as family preservation services for DHS. Um, and there's just a huge increase, especially since the pandemic of mental health issues. Suicide rates are skyrocketing. The use of alcohol and drugs have skyrocketed during the pandemic. So we've got some interesting places to go and meet people in our next year. I also really loved that you tweaked the definition of hope. So those of you who were here last week with Dr. Hellman, his scientific definition of hope is um, the belief that tomorrow can be better to than today and that you have the power to make it so. Okay, so that's his stand. And Amy tweaked it to say a believer's definition in hope is the knowledge that your future will be better than your past, and you have the power to make it so, not only for yourself, but also bear responsibility to share this with others. And I think that's just really critical um, as we look at going forward um, with hope. Tell me, Amy, briefly tell us how you got involved with the science of hope. Okay. I appreciate you pulling some of those statistics back up for this conversation because it really is a driver of so much of what I'm about so much of what, you know, we remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do, WWJD? Mm -hmm. And so I think all the time, you know, we don't know what Jesus would do if he were here right now with us, but I have to think that his heart would be broken over these things. And I think we all pray our hearts are broken over the yeah. things that Jesus' heart would be broken over. Um, hope has always been just kind of a, a thread through my life. I remember very vividly memorizing 1 Peter 3.15. Be ready always to give account of the hope that's within you. And um, I, I've always struggled with that a little bit of just like, okay, at any moment, I'm going to have to be able to, to give a full dissertation on, on my belief and, and lead someone to salvation. But the older I get, um, the more I've stepped into this thought that, I mean, it's being kind, right? It's loving people. And as a scientist, as someone in the medical world, We've always known that when people had a positive outlook, when they were optimistic, when they believed they would get better, so when they were filled with hope, um, that they will. Statistically, they will do better with the treatment than those who are incredibly pessimistic and, and don't think that they're going to move forward from this diagnosis. We've known that. That's been proven again and again in studies. So when I read Chan's book, and I've known Chan for many years, I was blown away by the way that it complemented what we know to be true spiritually. And I feel like this is something we as Christians, we own this. You know, who better to tell the world about the hope that is within us than us? We own this space. And, um, and we're armed now with incredible evidence that, that we really can change lives. So to know that we can teach people 
we can spend time with them, and we can help them change their mindset, their outlook. Um, it's really powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Yeah. You and I live in a world where we've always tried to help people, right? We live with our hearts. Apparently, we're called empaths, I guess. Um, so we've both lived an experience where you're just doing everything you can to help someone. You're meeting their needs, and they're not, they're not moving forward, right? They're not changing where they are. And, then you've all, and I've also worked with people who we meet their needs, and we learn from them by the end of the experience. Right. And I think the difference, and I've, I've always struggled, what is the difference? What is it? And I think the difference is the mindset of hope. I think if we can help someone and instill, help them move towards having this mindset, I can move forward from this. I think that's the difference in watching families make recovery and progress and families who remain stuck. Right. You know, uh, Chan has a, a new study that hasn't been published yet. It's in the editing phases. And um, he took 485 youth in the state of Washington. And um, all 485 of these kids, 14, 18, 14 to 18 years old, presented clinically um, with depression and suicidal ideations, both, okay, 485 kids. After one hour of teaching the science of hope, they reassessed them, and suicidal ideation was off the board for all 485. One hour. One hour of helping them to understand that tomorrow can be better than today. You know, when you mentioned that, um, it, that the hope matches up with what we're called to do as Christians, you know, um, the first week Steve talked about um, his connection with the Israelite journey and their hope and their back and forth and um, forward and regression and how that, how that uh, mirrors hope progression as well too. Ben talked about um, the story in Mark of the um, friends who brought their paraplegic friend and lowered him through the roof, right? Um, I have some, some um, parts of the Bible that really resonate with me with hope, but talk to me about what, what settles with you? Where do you camp when you really think about hope? You talked about Jeremiah 29, 11 working. That's where you camp with your family. But when you're thinking about hope, where do you, where do you camp? I don't know if we can bring it up, but I know towards the end of the presentation is a passage out of John 6. And I would love for us to read through this um, because this is a passage, especially during the time that we're living in, I think we all have to acknowledge at some level, the last couple years have been really hard. Whether you have everything you need to live, but you've been homeschooling your children on top of work, or whether you've been worried about a sick neighbor, or whether you're just lamenting the fact that we're not all together, whether you're in fear because you have um, an underlying health issue that puts you at risk for um, catching COVID, there are a million reasons, whether you're afraid that you may lose your job. Um, we've all been living with this elevated sense of fear, anxiety, some trauma, um, and our kids are feeling that. And so um, this passage really has been one that I've been camped out in because for people that lead with their hearts um, and people who are called to help, 
it's overwhelming at times. You know, even those of us who have high hope scores, who feel like we, we are here to reach out to others, to connect people to services, it's overwhelming, right? There's sure. no way I can fix everything. So I would love for us to read this for just a moment. Um, John 6, 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd was following him because they were watching the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. But Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. So Jesus, after raising his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So Jesus is concerned about their hunger. As we talked about this morning, any teacher knows you can't teach a child in school when they're hungry, right? So we have to feed them so that they're ready to listen, ready to learn, ready to believe, and ready to hope, right? But he was saying this only to test him, for Jesus himself knew what he intended to do. So again, this idea biblically that we pulled from this morning, that the word hope in the Bible really, it, it includes this idea that we know the future. Like the future is right. going to be better. Jesus knows that he, he has all of this in his hand. Philip answered him, this would be me, 200 denarii, which I think is about 200 days wages, worth of bread is not enough for them. For each to receive just a little, I can imagine me just saying, what am I going to do? There's no way. We can't fix this problem. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Now, that's beautiful to me. I'm imagining and this is a new thought that I've had just over the last six months or so in reading this. Um, who baked that barley bread? Because there are a lot of us, um, literally, who are mothers and fathers at home who are packing these little lunches every day and sending our little ones out. There are a lot of people who are confined to homes or feel isolated or feel like, I, I don't feel like I can get out and go and, and be around a lot of people. There was someone who was baking barley bread at home. I'm guessing it's mama. I don't know that. But to me, that also says there are a lot of people behind the scenes doing big work that that Jesus is using. Um, What are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people recline to eat. Now, there was plenty of grass in the place. So the men reclined, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. After giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were reclining. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who's come into the world. So I just have meager gifts that I can bring. Something supernatural, miraculous happened here, and Jesus took what little bit, this little boy who showed up that day, brought to him, and he multiplied it. And I just keep thinking, our God is still a God who does amazing, wonderful, supernatural things with the small gifts that we bring him. And often we may not know what that outcome is, but he has the ability to multiply everything that we gather and we bring to him. And um, so I want to be part of that. I want to see what is God doing during this time. The, the need is great. We know that. But we know there are also many workers. And we know we are gifted with many things. What if we all just brought our meager gifts to the people who are hurting around us? And we see how is God going to multiply that? 
You know, I think that that's a really great point. And I'm going to go off script a little bit. So I hope you hang, hang with me just for a minute. Because, um, you know, when I, um, I I'm, you, you talked this morning about fight, fight, flight, or freeze, yeah. you know, and how that affects um, people and especially people that come in from trauma. And even this morning on my way in, I got a um, thing popped up on my phone and it says, um, many people who are experiencing complex trauma don't even realize that they're traumatized because that's their normal. And that's another thing that we have to wrestle with as Christians as we go forward is it may be their normal and we're looking at it differently, but we have to meet them where they are. Um, but, you know, you talked about the fight, flight, or freeze, and, um, and, and I'm generally a, a fighter, when it comes to emergency situations, if there's a crisis, I'm your girl, right? I'm, I'm going to be in there. And Amy talked about that. She's in there too. But then I also have a little bit of, of your kiddo too, um, because she was saying that she has a kiddo that has a freeze um, and, and how that uh, the dynamic plays in her family. When I get overwhelmed with a lot to do, if I'm going to clean out my closet or I've got to clean out the pantry, I get started and then I get totally overwhelmed. It's just so much and I just freeze. I can't, or if I have a big project at work, I just, I, I freeze and I have to really talk do a lot of self-talk to myself to push through mm -hmm. when I'm overwhelmed. And, you know, when you're talking about this, um, we're going to have to push through a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just like the disciples did, even though it was overwhelming, they pushed through because it was what God told them to do, right? Mm -hmm. And they went and they gathered mm -hmm. and they brought it. They didn't just say, it's too much. I mean, they said it's too much, but... Um, they went ahead and pushed through, even though they're overwhelmed. So can you talk just a minute about how we push through the overwhelmed mm -hmm. of the freeze part? That's a tough one. And um, it goes back to living in that front part of our brains. We talked a little bit about you in our brains. We're either going to live in that front part with the, uh, the prefrontal cortex where we really can take steps. We can plan a task, we can move forward, we can think about tomorrow, or we're going to live in the more primitive part of our brain that's just always feeling um, like we're surrounded by chaos yeah. and uncertainty. And I think one thing we have to do is we have to remain focused on the known factor here. The known factor is that if we're in Christ, again, the future is certain, right? There, right. There's no uncertainty here. And we know that anxiety is bred and lives um, in a place of trauma and uncertainty and fear. So we right. have to focus on what we know is given to us. Um, we know we have eternal salvation. And then I think we, we look around us and we, we really, you know, sometimes we don't take the time to even think about what, what gifts have we been given, right? I mean, are you given a kitchen and can you bake bread? Does that bring joy? And is right. that something you share with people? Or do you have a gift where you go out and you connect people to services or you feed the homeless? Um, there's a ministry in Tulsa every Thursday night. They gather under a bridge downtown and feed the homeless. And we, we took the kids for a while and they always ask before we get started, what do volunteers want to do? And I love reading to children. I feel like that's my gift. It's fun. Kids always respond well to me. I can make the funny voices. 
that's my gift. Well, one of my children raises their hands when they ask who wants to wash the feet of the homeless. And it was that moment as a parent, like you see this little hand going up and I knew what was coming next because the person in charge turns and they say, well, we're going to need an adult to, to be with the child. We can't let her do that by herself. And it felt overwhelming in that moment sure. because it felt that is not my comfort zone. Um, and it caused me to step into something that was unfamiliar for me, uncomfortable for me. I followed her. I followed her, my child into that space and I lived with some discomfort for a little bit, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. And so I think part of it also is being willing to say, we can handle a little uncertainty because we know what the future holds and we know we're surrounded with people. I think connectedness is also important. We know that connectedness is the antidote to trauma. So when we're trying to solve the issues of trauma in isolation, it means connectedness. And we all who are here this morning, it was important to us to physically be connected, and that's beautiful. But we also can be creative in ways that we can still remain connected to each other, even if it's virtually or outdoors or, you know, in different ways. I think we have to be creative and still we have to work towards connecting people. So, and I think that that's all spot on. And I think, you know, the reason that we're having this series about hope and the science of hope um, is because this is our year of go. You know, we have the go, gather, gather um, grow. This is our year of go. And we're, we're challenging ourselves and our family here to go into uncomfortable places and to move forward and to follow that child in front of you or follow that person in front of you. You know, you've mentioned several times this morning, and I know this um, personally from you, that you guys do a lot of mission work, um, you and your family. Knowing what you know now about the brain, about the science of hope, about trauma, about people, um, hard places. What's your advice as we prepare to go? Mm -hmm. I think um, one piece of advice that has given me relief, and um, perhaps I'm wrong, but I think at times I've put too much pressure on myself to be a fixer of problems, and it's created kind of a fear of getting involved in something because then I will own that problem and I have to fix it. And I would say, let that go because we don't fix anything, right? It, I mean, that's presumptuous to begin with. I'm not capable of fixing myself apart from Jesus Christ, right? So I think we also have to know, like, we're going into any situation with Jesus Christ beside us. He's the fixer of all things. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to bring someone to salvation. So we also can relieve ourselves of this enormous pressure that, okay, I'm going to feed you, but I also have to make sure that you become a member of the church today. That, that's outside of our domain. Perhaps we're just called to be the fixer of the hunger, and through that act, Jesus multiplies, and it's the Holy Spirit that brings salvation. Um, I think that we... We take our children with us. We take our young people with us because it's important that we are teaching them not to be afraid. Um, I think we think about the small steps that we can take. I think we look around and we look in our community, who's the person that I'm going to link arms with, right? Because if I were here, I would call Lisa back and I would say, Lisa, tell me, what's something, you know me, 
what's something you think I would be good at or could do? Or can I just join you? Can I just come watch you? And I find a lot of people are more comfortable if they're not doing it alone, right? So find somebody that you're going to do this with. And, um, and then that builds, builds our courage a little bit. Um, I think that ultimately, even when we're weary, we know where our hope lies. And just taking that step outside of ourselves brings a refreshing, a renewal of our spirit. And what I love in Chan's research that he has brought forward before for us is hope begets hope. hope. It's kind of like the love bucket book for any of you parents who've read that with your children. It's amazing how the more we are giving to others, we find the filling ourselves. That's beautiful. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you Thank for you. sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Um, we appreciate your time and you stepping in and, and helping us out here. I think it was just absolutely wonderful. Um, for those of you um, who are interested in learning a little bit more of the um, grassroots side of the Science of Hope, that'll be next Sunday in class. We're actually going to do the Hope Assessment as a, as a congregation, and um, we're going to be talking about that and how we, how we learn scientifically to meet the people where they are um, as we get ready to go forth. Um, thank you so much for thank being you. here today. Thank you for having me. Um, if you'll stand.